This episode is the second of a two-part conversation on hiring ethical employees. Part one of this Question of Ethics conversation, held January 26, 2023, is available on the Ethics Subcommittee webpage, which is part of the NACOM website. Today, I think we're going to Norman Meyer, retired clerk of the Federal Bankruptcy Court, District of New Mexico. Good to start here to make sure we cover it. So um, here's the first one. Describe a situation which you took responsibility for a mistake you made. What were the consequences to you for doing so? What do you all think of question uh, and asking it in an interview? Or whether it's valid or whether or not you might even get a, a reasonable response, because that was a big thing in Lance was, well, if you ask this kind of a question, can you really expect an honest answer was a big, big topic that we talked about. So what do you think about this one? I love this question. Courtney Whiteside, Director, I, 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 Municipal I Court, St. Louis, Missouri. A, a, a plethora of insight, namely, I mean, if if somebody sits across to me and says, I've never made a mistake, like, that's not working for me. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would rather, I would much rather somebody explain, you know, a genuine mistake was made. And I think that as a characteristic of a leader or a future leader, that they would be willing to accept that responsibility for whatever X would be. Maybe I would add something and tell me about time you made a mistake and what were the consequences of and I don't want to know anything criminal. Like maybe, maybe specify it like at, at work. And then maybe expand on that. You know, like what were the consequences? What did you learn from it? What would you have done differently? Those kinds of things. Because I think that would display their ability to accept responsibility. I think that would display their ability to then like, okay, a mistake was made. There were consequences, but did you go back and then evaluate where the mistake took place? So I think that, I think this could tell you a lot. I like this one. Stacy Werby, State Jury Coordinator, Alaska State Court System. Find someone else to blame for their mistake or share the blame. I'm really looking for someone who totally owns a mistake and tells me how they resolved it. So I think that's very valuable just to see what even mistake they choose to present to you. Well, I think we Peter have to Kiefer, keep in mind retired court that, professional. Again, job interviews are not therapy sessions. <laughs> so you are going to carefully choose what instance or example you're going to use in your life to describe taking responsibility for a mistake. You may or probably wouldn't hear the worst possible situation the candidate has ever been involved in, but something where the candidate came out at least looking pretty good. I would throw the question back to all of you. Would you hire or continue to seriously consider a candidate who said, I made a serious mistake and I real and I owned up to it, uh, my responsibility, but I was terminated for that. Would you continue to consider that person uh, for your court? That might depend upon what the mistake and what the error was. I mean, if the mistake was stealing money from the court, then I think I would say, sure, yeah. it was justified to fire him. On the other hand, if it may be something which another employer might consider to be serious, but I wouldn't uh, in yeah. my environment. Yeah. If a judge got very angry with you for something that you did, I mean, a fairly honest mistake, but and asked for your termination and got it, would you, as a court administrator, continue to keep that person high up on the uh, consideration list? 
I think that's, I mean, there's kind of some nuance here, you know, is, is whatever they did, regardless of if they're, if they are copying to it or not, was, was the action that they did a violation of our ethical code of conduct in general? Did it overall impugn the dignity of the court? Those are questions that, that would be asked. But yeah, I think, I think depending upon what it was, I, I would still consider that. We've talked about responsibility, and the second question actually uh, here deals right with responsibility. So we have, have you ever taken responsibility for an error another team member made? Tell me about it. And this gets uh, get back to what Stacy and I think first talked about is that, okay, particularly if you're in a team environment, you know, you're supposed to all be responsible together for things that happen, you know, um, so this one kind of gets at the heart of, of that. So what do you think of broadening it out a little bit more? So it may not be your own personal mistake, but it's in your team. So I think we, we talked about that somewhat, but it, it's just nuances of accountability and, and responsibility. And there's a third question, and this is an interesting one. And, and again, I'm taking in the first session, I talked about how these, these characteristics that are used here, I, I've taken lifted out in these questions out of a book called The Good Ones by Bruce Weinstein crucial qualities of character employees. And so he has this question in there and I, I wanted to add it in here to, to see what you think about just uh, this kind of a broad open-ended question in this. And the question is, tell me about a typical working day. I like this one also. Good, why? Well, because I, I think I think if you described me to, to, if somebody described me to, or asked me to describe my typical working day, I think that would be very difficult as they they vary. Uh, you know, your day is very, but I think when you ask someone to talk about their typical working day, you get a body language that says a lot that sometimes is more meaningful than what is potentially coming out of their mouth. So if you hear people using words like, um, well, during my typical day, I get to interact with the public all day. I think that sends a certain message, or if you get the body language, that they're smiling when they're talking about what, you know, what they do within a day. Um, I think the ability to even articulate what you do in a day is important. So I, I think this one is a good one. I think that one thing that, that um, uh, Mr. Weinstein talks about in his book is that if the person answers in a way which is all about me, 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 I, 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 I do this, I do this, I do this, that tells you one thing, but if they also have an, more of an emphasis on, I did this for the court, or I did this uh, to meet the expectations of, you know, my my employer, you know, we had these goals, and so that's why I did these things or whatever, it shows much more of a, a sense of being part of the organization and being accountable. And it isn't just, you know, focusing on just the, the, the task list that may be in front of you or whatever. So, uh, that was the sort of a point that he made in in a, in, in a book that I thought I'd share. Here is uh, what could be the fun part of the session, and that is I asked ChatGPT, the AI-based chatbot, to answer this question. What question should I ask in a job interview to hire an ethical employee? So let's walk through what the answer is, and then let's talk about the the chatbot did suggest five questions, and so we're going to get to the five questions here pretty shortly. So this is pretty interesting. All right, so this is this is this the text you have here are, is ChatGPT's initial part of the answer. There are several questions that you can ask in a job interview to determine if a candidate is ethical and will be a good fit for your company. Here are a few examples. 
All right, here are the first two. So let's talk about the first one. Can you give an example of a time when you had to make an ethical decision in your previous work experience? How did you handle the situation? That's pretty on point. What do you think of that, that question? Just having, yeah, just having the uh, person applying uh, define what they think is ethical might be interesting. I mean, it's a little open-ended there. What do they think an ethical decision even means? Right. And that, that gets to the second question. It was how do you, you know, I, I'm asking an employee in a, or a, an applicant in an interview, how do you define ethical behavior and how do you ensure that you are acting ethically in the workplace? I mean, this is really putting it right the meat on the table <laughs> here. Um, and so, you know, does the person understand what, what ethics is about? Um, you know, if they have no understanding what ethics are, they're going to have a hard time answering that question, which, and I guess that might tell you something about the applicant and whether they're a good fit and what, you know, where you're trying to hire an ethical person. So these two questions, any other comments? This almost, I, I kind of feel like I, I'm getting two things that are running through my mind. Number one is the question of where do you see yourself in five years? Mm -hmm. And um, the second part that I'm getting is these almost seem kind of like um, that an applicant would feel like these are trick questions. I, I, I'm just I'm just kind of getting that that yeah. vibe because I think for one to define ethical behavior, it's almost like we're asking. I feel like we were almost asking for those standard responses. You know, ethically, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be on time. World peace. Uh, you know, all of these like feel good answers that you want to that people tend to give in interviews, and you're looking to get deeper. But defining ethical behavior is a very broad, a broad question. But I could see where an applicant wouldn't want to say, can you like narrow that down for me? I don't, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about these two. I'm not sure. One thing, that, one thing that hits me about these questions is there's an, an old adage that you can learn as much from the question that's being asked than the, an, than the answer that is being given. And if I was a candidate and I was asked these sorts of questions in a job interview, my first question is, what is going on at this court that they keep asking about this stuff? Was there some huge scandal in the court that is driving them to have to ask stuff about this? And do I want to work for a place that's had this huge scandal? And again, I think we go back to, this is not a therapy session. So I crafty candidate is probably going to pick out something like, well, here's an actual instance. A court administrator was uh, is in charge of probate. And so a lot of money is passed by the court administrator's desk that goes into escrow for probate accounts. And one day, this is a check was written out for $10 million to the court administrator, not to the court. It was a clerical error. Okay, did you make an ethical decision? Yes, I made the ethical decision to continue to take this to the bank and to put it in the court's escrow account and not try and cash it and go to Argentina. But I, for a whole host of reasons, I don't think that that was a very difficult ethical decision that had to be made. I mean, it makes for a really good story, uh, how far would you get before somebody would figure out the, the error and, and track you down, which would probably be more practical than ethical? I think that when I, when I look at these questions, 
people aren't a lot of times in, in our experience anyway, a lot of people that come into the court have limited knowledge of what our, what our tasks are, what really makes up the job that we do other than what they see on um, the court portion of SVU or night court or, you know, some other show similar. So when I think about these things, I, I want it to be able to be relatable across the board, because a lot of times they're not going to be able to give you an example of a, a court scenario. So you kind of have to make these things fit across the board rather than focus on specific court decisions, because I think are court questions, because I think that people just really don't, the general public just does not understand what goes on outside of just uh, the individual sitting on the dais. But trying to relate these things, I think, is somewhat challenging. But I, I, yeah, still, I still, the jury is still out on these two for me. <laughs> I hear what you're saying, Peter and Courtney. And, and I think those are really good comments, especially putting somebody on the spot to define ethical behavior when they're coming from the outside of our work environment or never worked in the, you know, the courts before could be a really challenging thing for them to do. It reminded me of the discussion we had, again, back in the first last month, where how do you hire people? Well, one thing you do is you make sure you're your job descriptions and recruiting materials and such that, that somebody should be responding to in applying for the job, describe how you expect, you know, certain kinds of behavior that, that you expect ethical behavior. And you might even have before the interview that you provide materials to people about what are the, what are the job duties typically like, and even a copy of the code of conduct. So that they are familiar with those things before they go into the interview. So that when they get in the interview, they have been prepped with some knowledge, at least, so they can more fairly answer these kinds of questions. Personally, I don't think I would ask number two, because I think it, it does put people on the spot. Uh, I like number one to some extent, but I might not phrase it and say, make an ethical decision, phrase it in more common layman's terms about a scenario of where you may have had a conflict of interest or some sort of impropriety was happening or something, you know, and, and then see how they, they might respond to that. Joe, do you have any comment about these questions? Joe Tomasino, Staff Attorney, Justice Court, Las Vegas, Nevada. Question number two might be more effective if you ask them to define unethical behavior and maybe say, what would you do in response to somebody else acting unethically? Like, would they intervene or would they confront the person? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay, right, so there's three more questions that our little our chat chatbot wanted to, to or suggested, and let's move on to them. So three, have you ever witnessed unethical behavior in the workplace? And if so, how did you handle the situation? So here is uh, not just yourself, but now you're, you're seeing it in your workplace in general. So how about that one? Does it twist it a little bit differently and make it better? Or is it still the same kind of problems? I think it's Joe for the win on slide 18. <laughs> I like that question better than number two. Yeah. I think, okay. I think it's interesting. I think that especially um, in courts of limited jurisdiction, we certainly do ask, we don't specifically ask, you know, how do you handle conflicts of interest? But we do ask, what do you think the appropriate um, actions sh that should be taken if someone came before you in court that you knew? You had a personal relationship with what do you think should happen? Um, what do you think the appropriate course of action would be? Because it's far more likely to happen at a limited jurisdiction level where more common violations take place. But um, I think 
for is interesting. And I think we've had, we've had people answer across the gamut, like I wouldn't want to deal with that case. And I think that answer says a lot, or we've had people like, well, it's my job to be fair. So I would just treat it like any other case. And it's like, well, you know, so I think again, that those responses tell you a lot. We've also gone different things of providing them with a copy of our code of conduct prior to actually interviewing. So I like number four. I think number four might be better if you ask the person, what are some potential conflicts of interest that you might encounter as a court employee, as opposed to just asking uh -huh. a general question about conflict of interest? Mm -hmm. That's a good suggestion, Joe. I think with the question number three uh, and the experiences that I've had dealing with areas around that, most people in an interview immediately go to criminal behavior. If you witnessed unethical behavior, Basically, they think, okay, have I ever witnessed criminal behavior? Somebody taking $5 bills out of the envelope, processing parking tickets, and sticking it in their pocket. When it's beyond clearly criminal behavior, then it gets a little bit more gray area as to one person's definition of unethical behavior versus another. How about number five? Can you give an example of a time when you had to speak up or take a stand on an ethical issue, even if it was difficult or unpopular? You know, you'd have the courage to do to do that. You think you'll get an honest answer, or what kind of response do you think we might get from people who in, in an interview situation? Are you asking me if I'm a narc? Like, are you? Like, I just oh, I, I'm asking what, everybody, all of you. Yeah, what do you think? That's just what that kind of what is. I don't know. I, yeah, it's I, getting know, to again, I kind of feel like that's a trick question because if they say no, then it's like, well, um, did you work in like La La Land or, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I think we've all kind of seen things that have seen, you know, seemed somewhat sketchy, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. The most obvious answer, which I have certainly seen in interviews I've done, that is unique to the courts is court employees must be uh, impartial and unbiased. Clearly, even in the face and of the possession of information which they have, which could tip the balance of the process one way or the other. You know, I I can't tell you about how to fill out these forms because I'm not an attorney. I have to remain impartial and unbiased. This is a very common question you get right at the counter. I'm not asking you for legal advice, I'm asking you how to fill out this form yeah. because yeah. the general public doesn't understand what legal advice is and doesn't understand the prohibition against legal advice. And again, a savvy job candidate would certainly go back to that. And I think most of us have at one time or another in our careers have been faced with that specific issue. And some of us have even been cussed out for not agreeing to provide that Again, I, one thing I think that, that you know, it's used, you know, the word ethical, ethical issue in the interview, you know, for somebody, as Courtney said earlier, is coming in from the outside, it, you know, it might be hard for them to, to pinpoint something there. And maybe if you, if you changed it to, you know, a problem, uh, a problem that occurred in your workplace or something like that, um, to be more generic term might help. I don't know. It, you know, but it, it, again, we sort of get back to, I mean, we're trying to accomplish here with these sorts of questions, both the ones that, that from the, the book that we've dealt with earlier, or now from ChatGPT, you know, we're trying to find out whether or not this person in front of us in an interview scenario has 
you know, the attributes, the personal qualities um, and, uh, and high character, you know, are they a person of high character who we can expect to be an ethical employee? And it's a difficult thing. I mean, as we're discovering going through all this stuff. So I, I did this as an exercise, not only to just get a different source of maybe questions to ask in an interview setting, and besides the book that we used last month, last month and a little bit here, the, you know, the Good Ones book, but I also thought it would be informative because there's so much going on right now in everywhere, tech industry, uh, the companies, uh, the, the news media, whatever, about ChatGPT and how it's being used or could be used, the problems with it. And I, I thought it'd be informative for us to take a dive into it and say, okay, you know, what, can it be helpful even in something like this? And I, you know, and so the, the purpose wasn't to get us to into a long discussion about the value or, or, or the end of humanity as we know it because of ChatGPT, our robot overlords are about to take over, but but I just thought it'd be a good now. But there is the ChatGPT. After these five questions, came up with this. So asking these, this is ChatGPT's. It's its text. Is it finished answering my question? Asking these types of questions can give you insight into a candidate's values and how they approach ethical dilemmas. It's important to remember that the candidate's responses to these questions should be just one part of your evaluation process. It's also a good idea to ask for references and to speak with previous supervisors to get a more well-rounded understanding of the candidate's ethical behavior. That's kind of a nice summation <laughs> in a lot of ways, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, I, I think it points out that ChatGPT is actually a pretty nifty tool, it just, I think, but also as we've learned, you have to use it wisely. Uh, and put it into context uh, and use it. It is a tool. It's also a good idea to ask for references. And so I think we're done because of time and whatever. Um, we've gone through a lot of time on kind of questions to ask in an interview. Uh, we previously had talked about, you know, what to do leading up to an interview to attract people. But then the last piece of it is references and background checks and such. You know, what might you ask prior employers, employers and other references? <laughs> and then I put in there, how do you get around HR who's going to have a hissy fit for <laughs> asking questions like this? At least that's my opinion. <laughs> and I'm not speaking for Nakam here. That's a Norman's <laughs> personal opinion. <laughs> in fact, our whole thing is just us talking. Um, you know, what, what kind of references and background checks do you do and, or, and could you do to try to ferret out whether or not this is, an eth is going to be an ethical employee? I mean, that's the topic of du jour of what we're trying to deal with here. I think the financial history, I would say, would be off the table. I think that that's too too invasive. Criminal history, we do check. But I'm, I'm curious about my colleagues on here, on, on their thoughts on references. Because I feel like when you ask for a list of references, of course, you, you know, you have, the, you have the people that differentiate between personal or professional. And, you know, I don't really want to know what your mom, like your BFF mom, thinks of you as a person. You know, I, I, I don't think you're, I don't think I'm getting much for that. Um, we do certainly ask, you know, talk to prior employers, especially like if they're a transfer here within the county, I have no problem calling their supervisor and saying, hey, what's going on? But the bottom line is that they, they themselves as the company are very limited on what they can say. Yes, this person worked here. No, this person didn't work here. And unless you're in with the, you know, the HR lingo code, you don't really know. I mean, they, they can't tell you too much. So I'm, I'm curious on what everybody else does with references. Stacey, what do you do up there in Alaska? I have a similar experience. Yeah, I have a similar experience to you, Courtney, is you, you mostly get the real answers. So it's references aren't as helpful to me as letters of recommendation. 
Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, depending on the source of the letter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we would, you know, we, if we had a final candidate, we would do our due diligence in, in a means of, of contacting prior employers. And to one thing that we did was basically I would have my HR representative do with a fairly stock set of questions that we had you know, vetted of what we wanted to ask that we didn't get into legal trouble, whatever. And you're going to get the, the boilerplate responses the vast majority of the time, although sometimes people open up, tell you things. So that was a standard thing. Criminal history, you know, I worked in the federal courts and that's just a, a lock stock standard thing. I mean, you, you do a criminal background check to see what the criminal history is. And then, of course, then you have to evaluate whether or not it's relevant. If, if you find something, is it relevant to the position? And that's the key thing in my mind is when you're doing this sort of thing, you know, did they have a, you know, uh, a minor misdemeanor back when they were in college, they're now 40 something years old and there's been nothing ever since. Um, and it, it has no relevance to the job really, you know, it, it, who cares? On the other hand, if it was, you know, <laughs> they murdered somebody, you know, six years ago or whatever, and and they're, and they're on probation right now. Uh, maybe um, uh, depends on the circumstances. Financial history, uh, since I'm yeah. talking what financial a, history. Yeah. What a, Go ahead. Would a felony conviction be a uh, automatic bar on the federal system? No. It, again, we would do an evaluation of what it was, when it was, and is it relevant to the position being hired for, which leads me to the financial history piece. We would not do a financial history on every single employee that we hired, but if I was hiring somebody to be my financial administrator who did the accounting, it was in charge of all the accounting and, and financial uh, affairs of the court, we would run a financial history on them, see if they were having some sort of history there that might give us red flags about um, how they handled money. Well, I, I think if someone did a financial history on me, I, I think that would be almost comical. Like, oh, when was the last time you balanced your checkbook? I don't know, somewhere around the mid nineties. I don't. I don't. I. I mean, <laughs> I may be, uh, you know, great at um, uh, reconciling the bank statements for the court and keeping track of bonds and doing all of those things. But if you look at my financial history, yeah, my credit is fantastic. But um, I have no idea what is cleared and what has not cleared. So I, I think that would be difficult, but I like the way that you put it to where it would be um, directly related to the job being applied for. And I think the other thing that, that I'm not seeing on here, but is that little box when they're going through their employment history that says, may we contact? And they have to say yes or no. And I always find it very interesting when they say no. And then it's, uh, you know, why did you, you know, why did you leave? Oh, we had creative differences. No, that's not even a real thing. So I don't, uh, I, I need to know more, more words on that. And there, there are things they, um, not too long ago, we called um, a former employer and, you know, I always make sure that the last question that we ask is, um, is there anything else that you would like us to know? And the response was yes, but we are not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, great. Right. Good talk. But yeah, I, I think some of the other things just on the application alone, I, I think that certainly raises some, let's talk more about that. I mean, if the business is no longer a, a business anymore, then I get it. But 
it's important to, to, to disclose up front to applicants what you may or may not check in the way of this in this area. And so once again, like in the federal court, we tell people uh, just up front, we are going to do, you know, at, at some point we may do a criminal history check on you and we, and we may do, you know, other checks such as a financial history check. You know, so uh, you disclose it up front so that there's no surprises and they go, what? You did that? I didn't expect you to do that, you know, or whatever. Um, no, I mean, if you want this job, uh, this is what our screening process are and, and you're up front and you're transparent about it. I have one, but again, you better be relevant. <laughs> yeah, I, I have one more question as far as relevance. So, drug testing. I when you uh, guys um, send people out for drug testing now here in in the great state of Missouri through a constitutional change, uh, recreational mar uh, marijuana is open for everyone now over the age of twenty one. And so, you send somebody for a drug test, and it comes back. Um, that they have tested positive for THC, you know, what is that conversation that you have? Like, you can't do that while, you, while you're at work. And it kind of opens up like a whole host of other things. Do you disclose that on the drug test that showed that they were positive for THC? Or, you know, what are, what are the limits there? And how are we handling drug tests while we're talking about criminal history checks and financial history checks? And there's also drug checks. Right. So, I mean, would would testing positive for THC be a bar to employment? No, not uh, up and until if you were stoned at work and fell asleep and hit your head on the desk and now you have an injury at work and you go and okay. test positive for THC, then then there's you know a whole yeah. host of other things that could potentially happen. There's uh, another question I had for you, Courtney, that you mentioned about doing reference checks. And that last question would be, you know, is there anything else you want to tell me, but I can't because I'm barred from responding to that, which is code, basically. Yeah. Or the other question was, would you hire this employee again? No, I'm not going to ask you why, but I mean, so, I mean, there's this code. How ethical is it for us to be doing these workarounds and creating this interesting background check coding system, which we all seem to know about. Good question, Peter. And by the way, the candidate- <laughs> are, are we being ethical? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, does the candidate have any opportunity to respond to that sort of thing? Often not. I mean- uh, yeah, It's a coercive environment. Yeah. You know? The power differential in a job interview or a job application process is so unbalanced and so skewed. Uh, we never talk yeah. about that, that all of the power rests with the employer and we often can do things which are shady okay I thought your your topic about the you know the the power differential i am always impressed by any applicant that ends the interview with you know usually that that person that's doing the interviewing at the end will say do you have any more questions for me and a lot of times they're like no none of them i can think of right now but if that person that comes back and says, is there any reason that I have given you that you're not going to offer me this position? And I'm like, wow. Okay. Really? I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I, I think it, I think it flips okay. it. Okay. So. All right. I'm going to have to call time here and, and, and move okay. on. We're, we're getting to the end of it there. 
So I had I had on here just what other actions might be affected to screen candidates for ethical qualities. We've talked about on the front end, job descriptions, your recruitment materials, reaching out to the community to make sure you have a wide brace thing. Then we all the ethical uh, the questions, and then we just had the, the background checks. Is there anything else that we haven't brought up that you know if you're trying to hire an ethical employee, or did we did we miss something? Gladiator game, naturally. <laughs> okay. And on that high note, I am gonna I'm just gonna say, okay, so so now I'm just posing this to us as the ethics committee of NACM. Is there anything else I do to follow up on today's discussion and the, the discussion last month and this month? You know, is there something else that we should talk about in the future or some way to, you know, should for example, we could leverage this into a presentation and discussion at an annual conference in an educational session, you know, just hint, hint, hint. The, the, the conference development committee might like to get a proposal from our committee to do this sort of discussion in at a conference uh, and, 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 and do a presentation about what, what, how do you hire an ethical employee or can you? <laughs> can you effectively screen for, for that? <laughs> so, uh, you know, what do you think about that idea, you know, for down the road? I like it. Challenge accepted. I think it, I think it's a good one. I think it's very interesting. I I like Peter's. Um, Peter, you may be on the um, on the hook for April. I really like it, the the point about the the power differential and how you mm -hmm. how you how you address that from our end. Okay. Well, I think we can follow up this at a, at, you know, at, in terms of follow up on this, today's discussion last month, and we're at our next meeting maybe as as, as a, a regular agenda item for the for the committee. But uh, in the interest of time, again, uh, this is the cover of the book that I've referred to. You know, for a lot of our discussion, the good ones, ten crucial qualities of high character employees. I recommend it. I mean, I don't agree, and I think we haven't agreed with a lot of the stuff that he may be proposing. But it does make you a lot about. Well, you know, you want high character employees. And so how do you screen for them? And this book is really on point. Um, so it's an excellent resource. There's the list for it. And then that's it. Uh, there's a beautiful picture of where I live. That's out my window in Albuquerque in the Sandia Mountains. Wow. And we're done. Perfect. Thanks for joining us today. A Question of Ethics Conversation is a regular segment on ethics, courts, and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, in the Court Manager Journal, on the Court Leader website, on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is ethics at nakamnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you'd like to listen to again, but you don't want to search the entire episode to find it? The additional resources section on the web page contains a question time marker sheet. Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it was the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time on the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to or from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thank you, and have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. 
They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management.